appreciate the forced applause and uh, <laughs> greetings. It, it is good to be with you. And good morning. Good morning. Yes, it's exciting. My name is Joey Malloy, and it's, it is great to be here. I, I do have a, a real uh, appreciation for the ministry that Greenbelt has had over the years. I understand it's 50 years. Is that right? Yeah. Is there anybody that's been here for the whole 50 years? A few, yeah. I met uh, some in the lobby and so on, and, and it's just wonderful. I've I've kind of been in and out of the Greenbelt world to kind of keep my eye on things. Of course, I'm well connected with your fusion youth leader, Jen Outhouse, who I think you know this already, but you are unbelievably blessed to have her giving leadership to your youth and other things too, but you really are. And um, I, I get a chance in my, my – I do two things. I, I do a thing called Implementa, which is youth ministry training and, and consulting and that kind of stuff. So I get the opportunity to kind of travel around and talk to different churches and youth groups and be with different youth ministries. But what, what's going on with Fusion Youth really is outstanding. So um, keep praying for that ministry, uh, but keep encouraging the leadership that is uh, under, under Jen and so forth. So that's awesome. Uh, camp Carith, of course, is where I hang out most of the time. Yesterday I was up at the camp. We uh, cleared out a whole bunch of snow and in, invited a bunch of teenagers to come, including Fusion Youth. And we had a wonderful time playing in the snow and building structures. We had a Camp Carith Ninja Warrior Day. And the students built their own forts and their campfires and their obstacles, and they raced around. And at the end of the day, we were all wonderfully exhausted. And somebody got a free week of camp. So how about that, right? It's kind of an exciting time. So Camp Carith has been around. We're celebrating 75 years. And... Um, and, and, uh, and, and some of you have been around for a long time. Camp Carith has its, its roots with the Pioneer Clubs, which I know has a history with this church as well. And, and so um, it, it's just a wonderful interdenominational camp. And I've been the, had the privilege of being the executive ministry director there uh, for the last four or five years now. Uh, before that, I spent uh, close to 25 years as a youth pastor in three different locations, out in Osgoode at Trinity Bible Church years and years and years ago, and up in Sault Ste. Marie at a Fellowship Baptist Church up there where I got my ordination credentials and enjoyed that process. And, and then back here in Ottawa from 02 to about 2017 where I served as a youth pastor at the Met Bible Church and enjoyed my time in the AGC uh, world as well. But in 2017, Camp uh, called me when I left the, the Met and they said, would you be our ministry director? And I said, well, what does a ministry director mean to you? And they're like, well, we don't know, but we need help, and we were hoping you could come. <laughs> and so through some prayer and discussion and so on, uh, it's, God saw fit to lead us there. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, I do is, is spend a lot of time just working with the leadership and developing our strong volunteer base that works at the camp. Uh, we have a strong camper and leadership training program for students going into grade 9 and grade 10 in that range. Once you get a little bit older than that, of course, we're always looking for staff, whether it's through our Canada Summer Jobs Program or as volunteers, and we take staff right up until the day that they say goodbye to this earth and hello to Jesus for eternity, right? We just, uh, we believe in serving God for, for life and, uh, and it's awesome. So if any of that rings uh, uh, any kind of excitement to you, love to talk with you this year. Like I said, we're celebrating 75 years. We have a big alumni weekend in August. 
And we run camps all summer long. So we've got a little table back there. My daughter will be there handing out cards and uh, so on. And so make sure you come and say hi. And I'd love to talk camp with you. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I trust you do. Uh, John chapter 11 is where we're going to be hanging out. And in John chapter 11, we see this incredible story. And, and, and I, I kind of got thinking about the, this verse that my, my favorite verse probably growing up and, and high school or junior high and younger students, maybe you can appreciate this every now and again um, in Sunday school, the teacher would say, you know, uh, rather than me giving you a memory verse, you can pick any verse in the Bible you want to memorize and you get your points for memorizing this verse. And my go-to verse was always right in the middle of John chapter 11. Some of you know where I'm going here. Jesus wept two words one verse get my sticker on the uh, bristle board poster thingy and uh, move along right uh, and so I've, I've kind of always been infatuated with this whole story of jesus saying i'm the resurrection and the life and lazarus dying and jesus not healing him right away and raising him from the dead and all that's going on there and oftentimes we kind of zoom in on little verses and we sort of pluck them out and we use them as proof text bumper sticker verses sometimes and just sort of think about them but i got kind of thinking about this entire chapter and and with your permission which i I'm assuming I have. Um, we're going to just work through the entire book of, of John chapter 11, the entire chapter part of me, and look at this, this big idea that, that Jesus has reversed and redeemed the curse of death for his glory and our eternal life. I'd like to suggest uh, three things at least this morning as we go through this passage. One, that Lazarus needed to die to bring glory to God. And in doing so, he lived. Jesus needed to die to bring glory to God. And in doing so, he lived. And we need to die to bring glory to God. But we too can live. Let's pray together before we dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to, to look into your word. And as, as was mentioned here, just come together, Lord, to... Uh, enjoy the corporate worship that you call us to. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ministry that it has had and continues to have 50 years, Lord, which seems like such a long time for us here on this earth. And God, thank you for the faithfulness over the years. Thank you for Pastor Kevin and the leadership that he brings to this church. Uh, thank you for so many that give of their, their times and their tithes and their, all, all, their entire beings, Lord, as an offering to you. And so, God, I pray you bless this local body, Lord. Continue to use them to reach out to this neighborhood and beyond, Lord, uh, with the good news that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so as we look into your word today, Lord, bless us, encourage us, Lord. Help me not to get into the way of what you want to say to each and every individual here in this room and perhaps watching online as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John chapter 11, I'm just going to read through, make a few comments, and uh, hopefully something will happen and God will do something in all of our lives as we work through here. So let's look at John chapter 11 and verse 1. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, to whom, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you were going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I'm not sure what tone Thomas had on that statement at the end, but it's interesting to think about the different ways he could have said that. Here's what we pick up from the first 15 or 16 verses. Number one, Lazarus was ill. Did you catch that? Like four or five times. He's ill. His illness. He's ill. Did you know he's ill? The, 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 he, he, Jesus loved his family and he was ill. And, and the disciples are keep telling him he was ill. Jesus was sent for. So Lazarus is ill. Jesus was sent for because somehow they knew that Jesus could heal him. They knew that probably because they've watched him do all these different miracles. He understood Jesus knows how to do this. We understand that Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus had a fairly special connection, a connection that was different than his disciples. Somehow there was like a, a friendship, a, a family friendship that's there. I'm not quite sure how it worked out, but it was a, a, a close relationship that was there. And so I think it was almost like, I know that guy. Right? And sometimes uh, we'll go to different places. And the other day we were at the Senators game. I should say the Bruins game. The Boston Bruins were in town and, and we went to watch them play. And, and doing the uh, DJing in the building was Prosper. Some of you might know Prosper and GPM. And Prosper is a, a friend of mine through different things over the time. So I saw him over there and I said, uh, and Ellie was with me. I said, hey, we should go say hi to Prosper. And she was quite excited because I knew someone. And, and I went over there and he saw me and he came over and we had a, a hug and a little picture and said hello and, and, and so on. And, and, uh, and he's like, okay, you, you could get close to him because you know him, right? I texted him. He says, yeah, come over here, knock on this door three times. And no, and would just walk over and say hello. And, uh, and so I think there was something going on there where they thought, you know what? Jesus gets called to a lot of people to heal a lot of different people, but we know him. So he'll drop everything and come because we know him. And we know him intimately. And so there is an expectation there that he is sent for. But the third thing that we see here is that Jesus delayed. He delayed. He said this would not end in death, but God's glory. Yet we see that he died. <laughs> so so you got to kind of pay attention. I know it's early on a Sunday morning, but try to kind of think about what's happening here. He's ill. Jesus is sent for. Jesus says, no, I'm not going right away. He waits till he dies. Then he says, hey, by the way, he's fallen asleep. 
And they're like, well, what do you mean he's falling asleep? We should go wake up. No, no, no. He's dead. Okay, let me be completely clear with you, disciples. He has died, but it's not going to end in death, but to God's glory. That's what's happening before he arrives. And I think that chunk of scripture in and of itself is worth further examination. What Jesus is doing, how he's responding, how he's consumed with something that I think personally, and I don't know, I know some of you because it's nice to see some friends here, but I don't know a lot of you very well, but I think it's something that the church and certainly our world needs to wrestle a lot more with. And that is not so much what's going on in our physical bodies, but what's going on to God's glory in our spirit, in the spiritual realm. This church has been around 50 years. Praise the Lord. Right? Camp Karras has been around 75 years. Praise the Lord. But in 100 years, none of us will be on this earth. I guarantee you that. Well, maybe a couple kids, maybe. (laughs) Who knows? But you know what I'm saying. It's all about the spiritual realm. And, And Jesus is trying to alert us to that. It's not about getting a, a few more years out of these bodies. It's about the spiritual realm. Pay attention to that as we go through this scripture. Second, second section here we say is the declaration against death, verses 17 to 27. This is verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus and already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. A couple things we want to pick out from this, this little section as the story continues. One, check out Martha's faith. Jesus arrived. Martha greets them and she says, hey, listen. He died. <laughs> you, you could have, he's dead now. But I still believe whatever you ask will happen. And Jesus gives her the line that we often pull out, and rightfully so, one of the great statements of Jesus, one of the great I am statements of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. And she says, yes, I believe that someday he will live again. Kind of like, but not really, when somebody dies and and we gather around. I was with a a former student of mine. His his dad passed away suddenly this last week or so, and I was sitting with them. and, And, of course, you sit there and you go... He's in a better place. And we believe that, right? We believe that when we leave the body, if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we've confessed our sin and, 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 and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead and choose to, to uh, follow him, we know that we get to go to heaven when we die. A better place. That's kind of what Martha is saying. She says, yeah, I believe he, he gets to go to a better place and somehow I've got it figured out. 
And, and we can understand why she would think this. There's a few verses I just want to quickly throw at you to, for your consideration. In John 5, verse 21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John 6:40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6:44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on the day, on the last day. 1 Corinthians 15:21, Paul now looking back at Jesus' ministry, makes this statement, For as by man Adam came death, by a man Jesus has come also resurrection of the dead. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. And so it's understandable that Martha kind of misunderstands what's happening, but she kind of doesn't. It's like she, she's giving the, the bigger picture of this eternal resurrection that awaits all who trust Jesus. But at the same time, she's kind of missing that Jesus has a little surprise for her. Right? And we know what's coming. Maybe you've read ahead on the, in the chapter and you know what's about to happen. It's kind of exciting, right? And, and so this is what's under, so we can understand why she would assume this because Jesus has already said this several times, okay? Um, look at verse 25 and verse uh, 26, but in the, in the message version, it says this, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives, believing in me, does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Do you believe as a follower of Christ, which I assume most in this room are, although I won't take for granted everyone is, but as a follower of Christ, do you believe that you will live? Right? Do you believe it? When it's getting tough, do you believe it? When your loved ones are on their deathbed and you're holding their hand for that last time, do you believe it? When you have that close call on the highway with the car, do you believe it? Do you have this rock-solid faith that says, no matter what, because of Jesus and my relationship with him, even though I die, I will live. I believe that when Jesus enters into our lives and and engages us in a relationship, he says, now, now we begin the abundant life. Think of what he says in John uh, 10, 10, where he says, uh, the thief comes to steal and uh, steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly to the fullness. Life eternal can start now, even though we wait to get to the other side of death. And this is what's going on. Let's keep going. Verse 28 says this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard that, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Exact same thing as her sister said a few minutes earlier, right? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him, exclamation point. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Some stuff going on here as well. A couple of things I want to point out. One, Jesus is troubled in his spirit. And I believe it's bigger than just Lazarus. So Jesus comes. He's got this plan. Remember, he's setting up with the disciples. I'm coming now. God's glory. This is what it's all about. He arrives and Martha has this conversation. And they agree that I'm the resurrection and the life. Then Mary comes in. And look what's happening there. At least what's pointed out that's different is that she's weeping. She's crying. She's not interested in a theological discussion on end times. Right? She's interested in the fact that her brother died. And she's sad. And she's weeping. And, and how does Jesus respond? He's troubled in his spirit. And I believe he's troubled in his spirit because Lazarus died and Lazarus is his friend. And even though he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, I think he's troubled. But I think it's bigger than that. I think the eternal God who actually set up this world to put man on this world to have a relationship with mankind. And when sin entered the world, so too did death. I think he's troubled because... He's seeing the results of sin, right? His spirit is troubled because this isn't what they intended. It was intended to be a nice garden. Adam, Eve, multiply, name the animals, have a good time. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. We're going to have a good, it's going to be wonderful. And when sin entered, so too did death. And I think as Jesus is staring in the face of death, he's, he's seeing Lazarus, he's seeing Mary, but he's seeing the bigger picture, which says this. Death is a result of sin. And as Jesus is, is starting to turn towards the end of his public ministry and, and turning towards the cross, and it's a little bit more in, uh, in front of him, I think he's seeing that he needs to do something about this. This is why he came. To solve the death problem. I think he's also just d- d- very upset that Lazarus has died. And it says here that he weeps. And I think there's a great lesson for us to think about that's going on here. We don't always have to have the answers. Okay, I've been married almost 29 years. I still haven't figured this out completely. But you don't always have to have the answers. I remember I was up at Sault Ste. Marie at First Baptist Church from 98 to 2002. I was uh, serving up there with a gentleman. Some of you might know his name is David McBain. He served at Alta Vista for a bit. Great man of God and really helped me out as a younger pastor. And, and because he was from the Toronto area at the time, I was from the Ottawa area. Going home on vacation meant we were gone. And back then, of course, there was no texting. There was no FaceTiming. There was no figuring out what was going on. It was just gone. And so I moved up there, and I was a youth pastor, but I was assistant pastor, so I was supposed to do other things. And anyway, I was there less than a year, and, um, and Dave was going on vacation. He says, I'll be gone two weeks. He goes, don't worry, everybody's healthy, nobody should die. <laughs> He'll be okay, just preach a couple times, it'll be fine. I'll be back. And of course, two days after he left, one of the most prominent families in the church, is, uh, the, the uh, patriarch of the family, the husband, died suddenly. And the wife calls me up and says, my husband's just died. Can you come? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and uh, you got to imagine, I'm, I'm much younger than I am now. And I'm really not into anything other than youth ministry, right? Like I hang out with students. They don't really die that often, you know. And uh, so she calls me up like, okay, I'll come. 
And I'm like, what would Dave do? Dave would go, okay. And I remember pulling up to the house. She said, come at this time. We're going to have a family meeting about the funeral and such. I said, okay. And I remember pulling up to the house and looking into the bay window of the house, and the living room was just jam-packed full of people. There was cars lined up on the street. I guess this was a big family. And I sat there, and I said, I had my Bible in my hand. I said, God, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to say. I don't have any answers. And Jesus just, or God just sort of spoke right into my spirit, and he says, just go and weep with them. And so I walked in, and I sat down, and, I, and they looked at me as if I had something to say. And I said, I don't have anything, but I'm here to weep with you. And that was enough. And I think when we're, we're, as much as we celebrate the eternal life that is to come, there is something to say for just sitting with people and saying, life is hard. And I can't pretend to know what is going on in each of your lives, but I know that life is hard. And I think Jesus sets a wonderful example when he just says, I just want to weep with you. There's so much more going on here, but I'm going to stop and I'm just going to weep with you right now because it is sad. Let's keep reading. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Look at all the foreshadowing that's starting to come up now. Okay. As as we're reading through this, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. A couple things here. Again, Martha not quite understanding. Remember we talked about that earlier. We sort of see this again where she's like, no, no, no. His body is going to be decaying. It's not going to be pretty. Don't don't roll the stone away. And Jesus is like, ah, remember what we talked about. This is the time. I'm going to show you. Okay, roll the stone away. I don't know what's going on, but just do what he said so, right? And then Jesus defies death, which is a foreshadowing of his own resurrection. Look at the tomb. Look at the, 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 the claws. Look at the statement he makes at the end. Unbind him and let him go. And I believe that's a statement he wants to make to each and every one of us as we enter death someday and, and enter into eternity with him. Imagine Jesus standing there and saying, unbind him. And let him go. And finally we'll be set right. What was supposed to happen all along. Eternity with our Lord and with our Savior. And I believe in that moment each of us will look back and go, Why did I cling so tightly to this world? Why did I cling so tightly to this world? Let's keep reading. The designing of the death plan. Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He said, he, he did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also to gather for, into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now track with me here for a minute. Jesus, think, think Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Jesus left heaven, come to earth, incarnational ministry, right? Come to earth to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again on the third day according to the scriptures and to ascend into the the very throne room of God Almighty where he advocates for us and and, and brings our our prayers right into the, the throne room of God the Father. That's his existence. That's his eternal purpose, right? So now as he's coming to earth, what he has to do is try to explain that to these humans. <laughs> and these humans sometimes think they know better than Jesus. And so when they're having this discussion, and, and I'm a good Baptist dude, I know what these board meetings are like. And they're sitting around the table going, what are we supposed to do here? If we, if we let this continue, they might actually believe in him. And if they believe in him, Roman will, Rome will come down and, and destroy what we've got. And so you have to understand in that time and space, um, uh, Jerusalem was under the, um, the, the physical oppression of Rome. And Rome just kind of governed over them. And as long as they kind of minded their own business and doesn't cause too much trouble, they could kind of do what they want to do. And Rome sort of left them alone. But what's happening here is Jesus is this Messiah, and of course, Jerusalem at the time was looking, and they still are, was looking for a Messiah to save them from the physical oppression of Rome, not the spiritual oppression of their sin. So they're looking for this hero that they can follow and they can lift up, and he's going to save them and free them. And so as Jesus is gaining in popularity, now he's raising people from the dead. They're worried that Jerusalem is going to rally around this guy. They're going to lift him up and they're going to go after Rome. We're taking back our our freedom, right? And they're going, we can't let this happen because then Rome will come and they'll just trounce us. And then in this great statement by Caiaphas, he says, you know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people? Now, he's prophesying a much much more significant spiritual statement. That one man die for our sins, Jesus the Christ, the only one that could die for us, the perfect sacrifice, right? And, um, but what he's actually saying is it's better that he dies than that Jerusalem gets all riled up and causes a big problem with Rome. He's actually making a sacrifice for, again, for the physical uh, oppression of Rome, of, of Jerusalem from Rome. Does that make sense? Just bobblehead me if you're with me. I can't really tell with masks on. But yeah, okay, good. So this is what's happening. What do we do with them? The the consequence of the Jews choosing a king over their own would certainly be that the Romans would come and exterminate them in their minds. That's what they're worried about. In verse 50, we see those prophetic words, even though they weren't kind of meant that way, we understand. In verse 53, we see this plan as a foot, as if they would execute Jesus, let alone execute their plan Understand this, and I know there's some students in the room, and I know you've been doing awesome that you're tracking with me, and I appreciate it. 
But understand this and, and make sure you ask your parents to help you understand it on the, on the drive home today. Okay? In fact, it wouldn't be inappropriate for you to say, hey, if you take me to Starbucks or Tim Hortons, I'd like to talk about the sermon with you this morning. And they will take you because they long to talk to you about God. Okay? So, um, but understand this. Jesus did not put himself under the authority of man. Mankind, Rome did not put Jesus on the cross. The Jewish council of the day did not put Jesus on the cross. Judas, when he, when he betrayed Jesus, did not put Jesus on the cross. Man did not put Jesus on the cross. Jesus put Jesus on the cross. And so these guys can, can plan out all they want. And Jesus didn't make some big mistake by revealing how powerful he is in front of them. Jesus is actually doing all of this to set up the inevitable that was set in place long before any of this, where he came to earth and he says, I will go to the cross because it matters to me that the spiritual oppression of mankind be dealt with. If you're in this room today or watching online and you are a follower of Christ, Take a moment and praise God. The spiritual oppression has been dealt with because Jesus put Jesus on the cross. And if you're hearing my words today and you have not given your life to Jesus, I beg you to consider what is it you're waiting for? Because the only thing that will matter is what you do with the spiritual oppression that attacks every single one of us. Because of sin. Lazarus. Lazarus needed to die. To bring glory to God. And Lazarus lived. And by the way when I say Lazarus lived. I don't mean he rose from the dead when Jesus called him out. Which he did. But you do understand that. At some point after that he died again. Right? And then went to heaven. Like he doesn't just live. You know. Jesus needed to die. To bring glory to God. And he lived. And we need to die to bring glory to God. But we can live. Indeed, Jesus has reversed and redeemed the curse of death for his glory and for our eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we celebrate what you did for us. We couldn't do it ourselves. We probably wouldn't do it ourselves. But you did for us. And so for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are hearing these words and being reminded of the eternal life that they have, God, we say thank you. Lord, we ask that we would live out this day and this week ahead, glorifying you and consumed with, with sharing your good news with this world around us that is so lost, that is so, so confined by the spiritual oppression. And Lord, for each one who's hearing these words today, Lord, would you speak into their hearts if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they might confess their sin, that they might turn to you, believe in their heart that you have been raised from the dead, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and find salvation in your name, the only name, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.